Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the Coalition Coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast, episode 21, where our goal is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. Today, I joined Robert Segi, who is a doctor and PhD, the co-director, stakeholder, and community engagement interim lead navigator at Tufts in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Segi is a professor of medicine at Tufts University School of Medicine, where he directs a new center for community-engaged medicine. Dr. Segi is nationally known for his research on effective health systems approaches that directly address the social determinants of health. He is a senior fellow at the Center for the Study of Social Policy in Washington and serves on the boards of the Massachusetts Children's Trust and Prevent Child Abuse America. He's served on the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Child Abuse and Neglect and on its Committee on Injury, Violence, and Poisoning Prevention. He is a graduate of Yale College and received his PhD in biology from MIT and his MD from Harvard Medical School. Bob lives in the Boston area where he and his wife Karen have raised three young adult children. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. We get to dive into some fascinating topics. Some of you might have heard of the ACEs study, uh, but Bob brings up a brand new study called ACEs with Hope and launches into how the negative things that have happened to a young person don't have to be the determining factor of how they turn out as adults. So I hope you really enjoy this conversation because I definitely did. Welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. I'm so excited to have you on uh, this this time around and uh, hear a little bit about what your work and what you've been doing. Um, I met Bob at the Montana Summit um, this summer, and he did a lot of research around the ACEs study, and um, we're going to talk a lot about that today. So welcome, Bob. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be on. I I enjoyed the time in Montana and appreciated meeting you and getting a chance to talk some more. Awesome. So since our audience doesn't know anything about you, why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and maybe how you got involved with the ACEs with HOPE study, what even is that, that whole kind of thing. Sure. So uh, my name is Bob Segi. I'm a pediatrician. I've uh, been in the Boston area for quite a while. I went to school here, met my wife, and we've raised our three children all in the Boston area. My area of specialty in pediatrics has been the prevention of youth violence and child abuse and neglect. And over the years, I've come to appreciate how much parents put into raising their Mm -hmm. children and how even families that are challenged by a bunch of things on what they bring to the picture. So our work on HOPE has really been trying to find out the health effects of positive experiences, those experiences that parents make for their children that often can counter the adversity that children and families experience. 
It's fantastic. So for our audience, for those of you who don't know what ACEs is, ACEs is the Adverse Child Effects Study. Am I correct? And kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. It, it was published originally in 1998, and it was a study of... Um, I think about 17,000 people who had uh, health care in Washington State, and they asked them about their childhood, and they found out that people who had any of about 10 adverse childhood experiences, including child abuse and neglect, parental mental illness, uh, parents who were incarcerated or used substances, that those experiences in childhood had long-term bad effects on adult health. And that's really propelled the whole idea of how important those early childhood experiences are you know, for each of us. So when you have somebody with a lot of, um, I guess, a high positive score of those, I know that your work centered around giving people hope. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why just why having such a high score would be just so devastating to a parent and how you can interject hope into that situation and kind of what your study um, does to do that? Sure. Because um, what we know is that all of our brains form as a result of experience. And what happens often in medicine is when something goes wrong, it gives you the first insight into how important outside effects are. So in this case, the ACEs study led to information about how the human brain develops in childhood and how the architecture can change uh, when children are constantly stressed. But we know there's more to it than that because both by studies and by knowing our friends and acquaintances, we know people who've been through enormous amounts of stress who are wonderful people, often people we admire. Um, so we started looking at what makes people able to be so wonderful even though they face adversity. And in a study that we did in Wisconsin with uh, Jennifer Jones, who was then um, at the Wisconsin Department of Health, and uh, Jeff Lincoln back from Montana, we were able to conduct a statewide survey that asked people about their positive family relationships. How often did they feel their family stood by them? They were able to talk with their family about their feelings. There was an adult in the house who made them feel safe and protected. How often they felt part of their community. What did they feel about their community traditions, their friends, their high school? And what we found out is that adults who recalled these experiences were protected against mental illness, physical illness, depression, smoking, obesity, um, a number of conditions. And even more amazing is even those adults who had a bunch of bad childhood experiences, um, who had been abused or neglected or had a parent who was imprisoned or had a mental health issue, if they also had these positive experiences, they were protected and went on to, um, to be okay as adults. So we're now trying to put together that whole picture of what happens to children, what experiences make us resilient, make us able to, to have a healthy, um, well-adapted adulthood, and what experiences derail that. So we're trying to round out that whole picture. That's so fascinating to me because I think, as, just as a parent, I have little kids myself, and just thinking um, for that parent who feels devastated because they had a difficult 
childhood or maybe they're bringing their child like I think of some of the domestic violence folks I've worked with um I had this woman come up to me and she just said after hearing about the study I have such hope because I realized you know I I kind of thought my kids are doomed to have all the same issues that I have but I've realized now that I can um put some of these positive things into their life and they already do have some of these positive things and, and grow those um, mm-hmm. you know, I can change the outcome of what my child's uh, adulthood is going to look like. This is fascinating. Yeah. It's wonderful. And Amanda, you know, as a practicing pediatrician, I get a chance to talk with all kinds of families about their own, their own experiences, their children's experiences. And just like, just as you said, it's so inspiring to hear what people have done when they, um, to overcome um, problems that, they, that they've had. And that's really the origin of this work, is understanding that all of us are complicated human beings who suffer things like domestic violence that we, thank God, uh, have gotten out of or don't want to be in, don't want our children to be in. But we also bring other things to it. We're not just a collection of all the bad experiences that we've had. That's so true. So when you have someone in your office who's saying that they've had, how how do you bring that conversation up? What do you say to them? Yeah. Let me give you an example. When I was um, in a previous position, one of the things we, we had were a lot of mothers who had been in treatment for substance use disorder um, during pregnancy, and then um, they got to see me afterwards after the baby was born. And before I walked in the room, each time I walked into the exam room, I thought to myself, here's a mother who got herself on treatment during pregnancy, decided to keep the pregnancy, even though often they're people advise them not to, really fought to keep the baby when the child was born and has now stayed in recovery. So I walk in the room viewing that mother as being a courageous, persistent, brave person. And that changed how I could deal with that family compared to, oh, here's another person who's been hooked on heroin. I have to deal with it. Not denying what was going on with them, but really understanding their successful struggle so far. And I can't tell you how just changing your attitude a little bit and looking for the things that people bring in in a positive way really enables you to form an alliance and to understand how complicated we all are and how what our struggles are. Wow. And then, so when you brought that in, uh, tell me about kind of what the client's response, because I'm sure that's not the response they've gotten everywhere they've been. Yeah. I think that I didn't say that to them. I mean, I didn't go through that whole thing, but I think they, it enabled me to talk with them about their recovery, their, their struggles with it, what their, what their family issues were, and to treat them with a level of respect and decency that allowed them to see that I viewed them as a, a valuable, loving parent who really brought a lot of good things into the equation. So then we could do mutual problem-solving around the issues that remained. Yeah, I, I remember something, um, a neat exercise that you had all of us do in Montana where you mentioned, you gave us some case studies, and I remember mm-hmm. in one of the case studies um, you talked about a mom in in a similar situation who had come in, and um, she had a two-year-old, and um, you just said, what would you say to this mom to give her hope? And I remember different people were giving all these, you know, sentences but one person in the back just said, I would tell this mom that she has been substance-free the in, her child's entire life. 
um, since her child was born. Um, she's been substance free. And I was thinking a lot about that. And just, I think that statement alone would give so much hope to a parent to realize, wow, I, I am doing this. I can do this. Um, yep. and that somebody recognized that in me. It was just, it was a powerful moment. Yeah, I think that the, that all of us have that. So if I have a person who comes to me with a history of domestic violence or a child abuse, we could spend the whole time talking about that. Mm. I don't want to close my eyes and not acknowledge it, but also finding out that um, she sings in her church choir or um, he's held down a steady job for a couple of years um, and is able to provide for his family. Those things really matter, and you can get at what people have succeeded in, and then you can work on what are the consequences of the, the prior bad experiences or not, or just congratulate them on getting out of the situation and, and reassure them that their past history does not make their fate, that, that we have a lot of control over our lives. Yeah, Absolutely. It makes me think, too, why, why do you think that we as humans just drift automatically towards the negative? Why do you think it's, I mean, I, just so hard for people to retrain their mind to think that way? No, I don't know. I've thought a lot about it. And I think for me as a doctor, my training, most of my training is figuring out what's wrong, mm-hmm. right? So if you come into my office and you have a fever, I'm not looking for how strong your immune system is or how you got over a fever last time or how carefully, you know, your mother gave you chicken soup. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with you and what's causing that fever. So I think for a lot of us, and it's not just in medicine, but also in all the helping professions, people come to us with problems. So our first instinct, which is not a bad one, Mm -hmm. is to figure out what's wrong. But retraining ourselves in these areas to say, that the person is a whole and there's something wrong. It's just, it's just a mental exercise that really works. And I've learned from watching other uh, clinicians do this really effectively and watching and learning about that. Um, but I think that it's a natural thing to do. And, you know, it's just a really, it's a really interesting philosophic question. And I think it depends, it's a mind training thing to retrain ourselves to look differently. Yeah, so when you talk about other clinicians that you've seen do this well, uh, help me understand what what's something that you've picked up that you've learned to do differently or, um, you know, maybe you've come up with some tips of your own of just how to get yourself into that mindset. Yeah, well, some of the things I, I've learned is I, I've uh, watched uh, videos of um, my colleague Paula Duncan, who um, sadly passed away a little over a year ago, um, do this with families where she worked with young mothers and would start by talking with them about their hopes and aspirations and their relationship with their child um, before diving into all the the difficulties they were facing. And just to watch how she and the uh, mother both glowed as they were talking about those things uh, really was, was affecting me profoundly. Wow, that's fantastic. I think the wheels are kind of turning in my head just even of the conversations that I have and how to start off with that frame of mind before you dive into the difficult uh, situation. I know also um, that you do some work with uh, community work you were talking about, um, and I know that Jeff Linkenbach, uh, his whole thing is trying to make some community-wide change. When we think about coming at it from a positive perspective, how do you see that 
making some community level change as a whole. And we, I know we dived in, we dove in and talked about uh, some of those things. Yeah, you know, I think this is a really, a really wonderful question. So I don't want to um, skip out of the first one, which is making sure that our families with young children aren't hungry or cold mm-hmm. or um, or whatever. And it turns out that we do have um, a safety net in the United States. It's not perfect, and I wouldn't be the last one to say we've, we've got it all. But a lot of families, for whatever reason, um, don't connect to those resources. So if you're working with a family that's that's struggling just to help them with uh, financial and concrete things is is important and in almost every community in the United States, doable. Not necessarily easy, mm-hmm. um, but it's possible. So I always start there. The second thing is when you think about community, think about what are the natural communities that people are part of. So if you're bringing your child to early childhood education, one of the hallmarks of a high-quality um, child care center is that they engage the parents as well as the kids. So a good center might have meetings or potlucks or some other activities so that parents can meet. And it's, it's myself as a parent, some of our oldest friends are people that we met when our children were in child care. And they're, they're adults, young adults now. Um, but just having the center facilitate making those friendships, helping each other out. So there are a lot of community things you can do about community spaces, community celebrations. And, you know, what Jeff talks about, and I think it's really important, is changing the social norm so that all of us understand that our children are really the future of our communities in our country. So all the things that we do to, as a community to make it easier and more fun um, to raise children, whether it's safe playgrounds or, um, or family events or just making sure that, it, that no one with a young child is hungry, um, really matter in the long run, and taking responsibility is, is important. You know, one of the things that Jeff has found through um, research that was done for Prevent Child Abuse America is the overwhelming majority of American adults already do this, volunteer in their communities, help people out, participate, whether it's in their civic life or through their church, synagogue, or mosque. Um, So this is something that we talk about as if we invented it, but, man, we are so far behind the curve, we sometimes just don't acknowledge it. And then being able to connect those families that are a little disconnected to what's going on is really wonderful. Yeah, just thinking about that, um, I was thinking in my role, I'm a community coordinator of a drug-free coalition, and just having the people around our table to start listing all of those positive things that are happening in the community and how um, we can build on those. I think, again, like the whole reason we have this funding in the first place is because there are drugs in communities. But Mm -hmm. we started looking at all the reasons why kids are not using and started championing those. So, for instance, our kids said one of the two top reasons they weren't using drugs or alcohol was one, they didn't want to disappoint their parents. And they Mm -hmm. said that the second was that they had goals in mind or uh, future plans in mind that they felt that drugs and alcohol would interfere with them. So we really Mm -hmm. began a campaign around that to just champion the fact that, hey, to the parents, like your kids are listening to you. They, you might not think they are, but they're they're <laughs> valuing what you have to say. Um, congratulations to the parents in this community. Most of you talk to your kids about um, underage drinking, and here's some <laughs> ways, you know, for the parent that says, "Wow, I haven't done that yet," 
we left some information so they could join the bandwagon and um, talk to their child. And we also said to the kids, you know, most of the kids here have goals um, and things that they don't want to have interfere with their future. And we would help some of the students who might kind of be fuzzy on having a goal in mind, uh, identify some goals. So the young people who said, I don't really have any goals for the future, we were able to um, work with some of those kids. Um, I know our teachers worked in their advisory really to sit down with them and help them identify some goals. So, yeah, I yeah. think that's that's really neat. Yep. I love I love what you're saying. And another thing, my, my colleague uh, from um, Georgia, it's Charlene Harper-Brown, said it really well, that teenagers have to feel that they matter. Mm. So if you have an after-school program, we have, I've worked with one in Boston called Artists for Humanity, where students who are, have artistic abilities work after school and create public art. Um, they really matter, and those kids do really well. And I know that um, faith-based organizations often do this really well with, with young people. Um, even if you're on an athletic team and your performance matters to your colleagues, uh, your, your friends, right? Um, all those things really matter. So setting up these opportunities where where young people have a sense of belonging, they can master a set of skills, whether it's sports or art or school, um, and they learn to become independent adults is, is just so key. And all the work you're describing really goes at that, like how do you make each each person transition from being a child at age 12 to an adult at age 20 mm. in, in a way that really matters. And, and part of what happens with substance use is if they feel that they don't matter and whatever they do doesn't matter, but someone's counting on them for something, um, they're going to want to be present. That's so true. I know that one of the protective factors um, listed is that a young person feels like they have an adult in their life that they can trust or talk to. Um, and I mean, that kind of goes in to what you're saying about mattering. You know, if you make this decision that's not healthy, you're thinking in the back of your head about that person who, you know, would say, hey, that decision matters to them. Yep, exactly. And that person can help you sort out. You said some people are fuzzy about their future. Mm -hmm. uh, an adult mentor who's not your parent um, can really help you figure out what it is you want to do and what your what your what your dreams are, and, and help you get there. So true. Uh, so when you think about some of the things that you're working on now, tell me about some of the things that you're you're currently working on. What's getting you excited now, and um, how are, how have you been able to use this um, and some of the things you're working on now? Sure. Well, first of all, there's the science geeky part. We're doing mm -hmm. more surveys and more studies to really dig down deeply into what positive experiences are, which ones are the most important, all those things. But aside from that, um, two programs I just want to highlight. One is a national program, uh, which is called Developmental Understanding and Legal Collaboration for Everyone, which is an ac acronym for the Spanish word sweet or dulce. And in that program, we have an extra person at the clinic where parents bring their babies from the time of birth to six months old, and that person is trained to help families understand their child's growth, to help them get uh, food and shelter, um, and to help them identify issues like maternal depression or intimate partner violence that they're, that they're struggling with, um, and work with them really closely for those first six months of life. And the beautiful thing about this program 
is that although our family specialists work at the health center, they actually work on a contract with the county. So the same people who do home visiting, who have employment services, who run the food banks, those are the people who employ the family specialists, and it's just taking off. We've, we've had funding to do some pilot sites around the country. Every pilot site is now expanding. We're, we're hoping to go broader. But the basic idea is really simple. We're going where parents already go, which is the health center, and understanding how much they want to be good parents and just helping them with a little bit of knowledge and assistance to do a better job with that. And then at the other end of the age spectrum, um, I live and work in Boston, and we are the biotech hub of, uh, we think, the world. I'm not sure, but uh, certainly a lot of biotechnology. So we now have a program where students who go to the public schools in this area can learn lab skills at MIT in the summer and then teach, teach science to younger kids during the school year and then afterwards get an actual research assistant position in a, in a lab in Boston so that they can then go on to apply to college and become scientists. And it's just wonderful to take these young people, um, some of whom are a little unclear about their future plans, um, and teach them something really concrete and watch them figure out whether this is what they want to do or teach or be when they grow up, um, and giving them access to just the amazing set of, of uh, people and experiences that are available in Boston. All right. So when thinking of our listeners, I know that in their head, they're thinking of what do I do next? What would you recommend hearing this information? What, what should they do next? Kind of what's the next step? Where should they look and read more about what your work? Um, and maybe what are some small practical things that they could start doing now in their line of work um, to implement some of this idea? Well, first of all, I can send you the link to our HOPE report um, so they can look at that online and become familiar uh, with the data if they're interested in understanding where this all comes from. And then on a practical level, for what they can do right now is they can walk through the same kind of exercise that we talked about with a mother with substance use disorder before they see a client who is troubled and is seeing them for their troubles to have in the top of their mind all the successes and the, and the way this person, um, what they bring into it besides their troubles. Second thing is at a really practical level, in counseling parents, the most important thing for a child are those experiences they have together with their, with their parent. Right. Um, so sometimes it's like, as we discussed, telling your child your, your views on substance use. Other times it's watching their football game enjoying their art, or taking them with you somewhere, even if it's just out to the park to play Frisbee or something. Um, but those experiences have a long-lasting, very positive effect. If there are opportunities to, for the professionals here to um, partner with, some, with an organization like Big Brother or some other organization that helps young adults get mentors, um, that's all the best um, to, to try to do that for those kids who are interested. Um, and then I think that there are really specific positive experiences that matter that we know about. Um, so we talked about them a little bit, and I'm just going to uh, go through them again. Yeah, definitely. Feel, feeling that your family has your back, being able to discuss your feelings with your family, having someone at home, whether it's a parent or a grandmother or an uncle or somebody who makes you feel safe so that your home environment is always safe, 
having a sense of belonging at school, um, which is different than how your grades are, but feel like this is a safe place where you where you're in the right spot. Um, enjoying your community traditions, whether if you're an immigrant, it's understanding your community. If you're a religious person, things that go on in your faith-based organization or in your neighborhood, the feeling a part of something larger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the core positive experiences that children and parents um, need to have. And one of the things that we as professionals tend to do is to refer someone with that problem to another professional, which is often the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but also to have in mind, are there potluck dinners nearby? Are there uh, for you parents of young children? Are there uh, mother-baby groups? So to think about those informal supports that we all depend on. And finally, every one of us who's a parent needs to have other people who can help us when we, when we need help. And so just asking parents, who do you call on if you need some help, and then helping them brainstorm that and also sending the very clear message that nobody can do it alone. Right. It's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness, um, to both offer help and to receive help from this like most important, most joyous, and most difficult experience that most of us adults ever have. It's so good. And I know that people are going to want to um, look you up and find more about your work. Uh, where, where could they do that? Um, I'm at Tufts Medical Center, so my biography and stuff is available um, through Tufts Medical Center. Okay. Um, and so they can just look up Dr. Robert Segge, S-E-G-E, at Tufts Medical Center. Awesome. And I know we can put in the show notes the study and some of the other uh, links um, that we referenced during the show so that, you know, people can read those in the show notes and uh, look up some more information around this fascinating topic. Great. And I'll send you all the all the links. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, I can't believe it's been half an hour already. And I thank you so much uh, for taking the time out to be with us all and help educate our listeners. And I really know that this information is going to make such a difference in so many communities. So I I really appreciate your work and uh, keep it up. Okay. Thank you so much, Amanda. Take care. Yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. For more information from today's podcast, check out our show notes. There you can find our contact information, social media, and website. Please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions. And if you like today's podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.